0: So we speak podcast. I'm Terry Fakes. And today, Cole Fakes is unable to join me. So I thought that today might be a great time to just share some experiences with you. And specifically, I'd like to talk to you about how to start and how to lead a small group. Now, I'm only going to share with you my experiences, so take it with a grain of salt, but I have been in and led a number of groups of different kinds in my life, and I thought I'd just pass on a few resources that I have found helpful, and I hope it's helpful to you too. So let's jump right in. First, know your purpose. There are different kinds of small groups, and I'll list three obvious ones. The first is a life Group, and I don't mean that in the sense of a, a group that comes out of life church. I mean that simply as a group that gets together uh, as a group of like minded believers to do life together. What does that phrase mean? It means a combination of prayer, hopefully, co- and uh, perhaps Bible study or discussion, hopefully, and also uh, social, spending time with people of similar values helping each other navigate your lives in a Christian way. And so at their best, these kinds of groups that do life together can be little uh, groups like Acts 2 or Acts 4, not to replace the local church by any means, but simply a smaller way to get your hands around praying for, caring for and walking through life with a little bit smaller group of believers. The second kind of group is a discipleship group. This has a very different purpose. It's a little more focused in the idea of growing our faith and our maturity. And when I say growing, I mean it in the sense of, as the Apostle Paul did, is to grow in love and knowledge and insight. And so discipleship groups focus around the study of the word so that we can basically orient our minds to have literally the mind of Christ. And discipleship groups must also then play out that Christian mind in our lives. So discipleship is knowing, doing. Then third is a kind of group that's not necessarily Christian, but I like to do it in a Christian way. And that is either a leadership group or a development group, and I'll talk about that a little more in a few moments. I'm going to leave the first category, the life do life together groups, to those who know more about it than I. I've been in those kinds of groups. I've led those kinds of groups. There are a lot of books written about it. There are a lot of theories and ideas and ways to go about it, and that's a pretty crowded space, and I think I'll just stay out of it. Uh, I don't think I necessarily have anything to add. So let me move on To uh, the discipleship groups. How do you start a discipleship group? Well, first, who are you looking for? You're looking for people who share your desire to invest time and energy and accountability in studying the Word. And putting it into practice in your life. Discipleship groups tend to have a little higher level of accountability. And when I say accountability, I don't mean that in a negative sense, uh, guilting or shaming. What I mean is, is, it's just like going to work out with a workout partner. You're going to be a little more motivated to show up. And so a discipleship group has accountability in that sense. You're going to be a little more motivated to make sure you are praying, reading, thinking, putting into practice the things that you're doing in your weekly meeting in discipleship. So discipleship group uh, is the first one I want to start with. And in a discipleship group, I have found that uh, in general, probably 75% of the time is a study of the word itself. A study of the Bible, as opposed to reading books about the Bible. Now, I'm going to give you a a few books that I'm currently using, uh, non-biblical books, in discipleship groups. So I'm not saying there isn't a place for it, but I think the majority of the time should be spent in the Word instead of reading what people think about the Word. Obviously, in a discipleship group, you want people that will make a commitment to be in the word every day. We all fail. I'm not uh, I'm not suggesting, uh, you know, there are penalties for that. But you, you really want to invite people that you think are ready to invest the time and energy and have the desire to take their faith deeper, farther in both knowledge and practice. When you start studying the Bible, let's say you're leading a group, you've identified a few people, a few guys, a few girls, uh, whomever, you know, that you are like minded in wanting to deepen your faith and want to take your practice further is as you lead this group, you kind of have to gauge where people are. But I'll tell you a great starting place is just everybody have a study Bible. I would recommend the ESV Study Bible because of the scholarship. But if uh, that translation is not the best for people, I recommend uh, the NIV Study Bible. Uh, I think the Gospel Transformation Study Bible is very good. But my point is simply to get a Bible so that you read the word in a non-devotional manner. I think our weekly reading is devotional in the sense that you read it, you pray it, and, and you listen to God. And that's a devotional kind of reading. Discipleship involves an element of Study, And when I say study, don't think in terms of, oh, my goodness, we're going to seminary and we're going to be in high level academic discussions. That's not what I mean. What I mean is we're going to read the word. We're going to read it in a way that engages our brain as well as our heart. A study Bible is really good for that in this sense. It's going to have an outline of the book that you choose to read. It's going to have a little historical information to give you some context. And then it's commentary, which you should not lean on too heavily, but it can generally be a good guide to you of how do you understand the flow of the thinking. And so I found that starting with a study Bible, reading a passage, and come to discuss more than just uh, the idea of, well, this is what that means to me. What does it mean to you? Let's uh, try to find out what the text wants to say. What does God want to say through this? What did he want to say to the original audience? What does he want to speak to us? I think a study Bible is a good way to maybe put some curbs, if you will, or some guardrails around discussion. Moving further, if you've got a group that's, uh, that's ready to move a little further, I would suggest using a commentary and commentaries, you have to be a little bit careful because some commentaries have really strong biases to them, and then some can be very academic. But there is a wide range of commentaries that can be read along with the text that will help guide us in how do we think about the text in a biblical manner. Commentaries can do things like when you read a passage They'll bring to bear other passages that those of you in the group may or may not have read before or may or may not have made that connection. So commentaries can be useful in that sense. They're not there to preach to you and tell you this is what this must mean. They're really there more to help you learn to think biblically about a text. I hesitate to recommend very much here, but I like shorter commentaries that uh, aren't necessarily verse by verse. Section by section is a good way to start. Remember, we started with the Study Bible. We moved on to a commentary that maybe gives you how to think about different thought sections. And then, of course, you can go as far as you want with that. But I found that N.T. Writes series uh, like Acts for Everyone or Mark for Everyone or Matthew for Everyone are good, short commentaries Wright, uh, whether or not you agree entirely with his theology, doesn't really have an axe to grind or a great bias. And it's N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright, uh, you know, his books are very engaging, but they're very biblical. It is a commentary on the text. It's not a book about the Bible. So that would be an example. I like the New Bible Commentary. I think D.A. Carson is the editor. It's a big one volume, but it covers the whole Bible. So the section on any particular book is pretty small. And it also talks about thought sections. So as you move forward in your study, I think those are two ways to do it. So again, to recap that, I really think you need to to invite people who have the same level of commitment and the same level of zeal to take uh, their knowledge and their faith further. And that you should study the Bible about 75% of the time. And I'm making that up a little bit, but very heavily being in the word. Well, what I like to do is to do a book of the Bible or a couple of books of the Bible and then take a break and read a book that really moves your discipleship forward. Uh, But it's not textual. It's heavily rooted in the text, but it's not textual. I'm going to give you three examples of that that I'm using right now that I have really liked. The first, uh, and by the way, these are not exclusive. You may have many other ideas for books that are very good for a discipleship group, uh, perhaps better than the ones I'm going to suggest to you. But the first is Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. I like this book because it's serious, it's practical, and it is essentially engaged in killing sin in our lives. Uh, uses the word discipline, but not heavily. And But I think that since it is a book for men, I think men really like this approach of what can I be doing and what should I be doing? Open my eyes to the kinds of things where there are little sprouts of sin in my life that need to be... Pulled out before they get large. Let me give you an example. There are chapters on the discipline of purity, the discipline of marriage, the discipline of fatherhood, uh, biblical ideas around the discipline of our mind, our thought life, discipline of prayer, our prayer life, our tongue, the discipline of work. What does the scripture say about work and how is that living out our faith in a a faithful way to God? The discipline of giving, the discipline of ministering to other people. So that's kind of an example of the sort of thing you'll see in that book. And I think that's a great book when you want to move to applying some of the things that you know into your daily practices. So The Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. Second book. Very different. This is called Letters to a Young Pastor, and it's written by Eric Peterson, who is the son of Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson, probably best known, I suppose, for translating uh, the paraphrase of the message. Uh, but he's known uh, to scholars and for many other books. But he's very much into helping equip pastors to do the work of pastoring. And I thought at first that letters to a young pastor would be great for groups of ordained or called pastors. But I found in the two groups I'm doing this with that it really resonates to all Christians because there's a sense in which we're all acting as Pastors, in the sense that God brings people into our lives, and the things that Eugene Peterson has to say really inform how we want to engage them. But first, what's the book about? Well, it's actually literally letters that. Eugene Peterson wrote to his son, Eric Peterson, over a period of time. Now, Eric was also a pastor in a congregation, and Eugene and he exchanged correspondence. It's sort of like a Paul and Timothy, literally, relationship. And what Eric Peterson has done is he's published, not his letters, but his father's letters to him. And so Eugene Peterson's letters basically talk about and engage with Eric in how do you help people make sense of what God is doing in their lives. And you can see here how that's very important for pastors, but actually applies to all of us. I like this book because it, again, takes what we know about the Scripture and helps us to put it into practice in a little different way in how we interact with the people God brings into our lives. Eugene Peterson has this idea that the essence of pastoring revolves around three basic things, and that is the ministry of the Word, in other words, teaching, living, the Word of God, the ministry of prayer, teaching people how to pray, how to engage with God in regular prayer. And then third, the best way I can characterize it is helping people see God acting in their daily lives, making sense of what's happening to me when you bring God into the equation. Now, needless to say, that presupposes, in fact, all of these books presuppose that you're reading your Bible, that you understand the New Testament, that you're, you're soaking yourself, if you will, in the word of God. And these books then help us migrate that from our head to our heart and ultimately migrate that to our hands, head, heart, and hands. So I like that book, Letters to a Young Pastor, even though I didn't think it was going to have a broad application. I think it really does. The third book is a favorite of mine, and all this book does is help give you a bigger perspective on the Christian life. It's called The Theopolitan Vision, The Theopolitan Vision by Peter Lighthart. Peter Lighthart does a lot of really academic things. This is not one of them. This is a book that's of general applicability to Christians, but it really helps us reframe, I think what it is we are about in the world. And I don't know about you, but every now and then I need to step back out of the weeds of the day in, day out, putting your faith into practice, killing sin, exercising compassion, being forgiving, the day in, day out life of a believer, as important as that is, every now and then, I need to step back, lift my eyes up to the horizon a little bit, and remember, okay, this is where we're going, and this is what this is all about. Peter Lighthart is one of those authors that, to me, does this really well. And so, uh, it's a very short book. In fact, all of these are relatively short books, easy reads, very good for discussion. So, Let me cap this off on the discipleship groups and say this way. Here's the way I like to approach it. This is just one way to do it. But I like when we get together, spend the first 10 minutes or so just catching up with each other. Uh, You know, how's your life going? Uh, Prayer request last week was this. How'd that turn out? And we've all been praying about this. You know, kind of brief update on your life. But you need to keep that to 10, 15 minutes Then, uh, moving into uh, the study. Now, you may be reading uh, a text, and you'd say, today we're doing John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. That is the wedding at Cana of Galilee. That's a a thought section or a piece of narrative. So, and you begin to have the discussion based on uh, the outline or the history, and you begin to just engage one another in that discussion. And that usually goes for 30, maybe 40 minutes. And then for the last 10 or 15 minutes uh, is prayer time. And that is sharing prayer requests with each other and very specific. How can we pray for each other? What are the things going on in my life that I want uh, the Holy Spirit's help with and I want prayer from my sisters or brothers uh, to deal with? And so just one or two very specific prayer requests. And it may be uh, in our marriages. It may be in our jobs. It may be in any number of things. But let's get personal. Let's talk about the things that God has placed on our heart, that the Holy Spirit has brought into our minds, that uh, he is working on inside us. And let's share that with each other. And so we write those down and then you either pray around the circle Sometimes you pray for the person on your left and go around the circle, or you can have one person just move through the list. But I really urge you, write those down and be faithful. This is part of the commitment to pray for each other every day. And so that's about an hour, maybe a little hour plus discipleship group. Uh, Again, about 75% Bible and maybe 25% of the time intersperse there some books that I think help us apply some of the Bible. The third group is called what I call a leadership group or a development group. This is a little bit different. It's not a traditional Christian kind of group. This comes from my experience in the business world. And when I would work with younger executives, people that I'd identified that had talent, that had uh, potential to move beyond their current assignment and potential to move into a larger area i you know one of the things i felt like when i got into the management role was that I had an obligation to the people who worked for me to help them maximize their abilities. Part of that was to maximize the company's profit by using people's abilities well. But part of it was because as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, I realized that we are stewards of all the things God brings into our life, and that includes people, too. And so to the extent that we can, we want to build people up. And in the secular workplace, for me, as a Christ follower, that meant I want to help people grow in their abilities to live up to their God-given potential. And that. Was true whether they were Christian or not. Well, since I've come into the church world, I really like the idea of taking that concept of a group, and there were very specific things you would do to develop the leadership skills and practices for those young executives so that they could learn perspective, they could share experiences, and basically grow in their leadership. And what you really wanted to do was you wanted to be an incubator and an accelerator. You wanted to take the talents that they had and you wanted to give them the environment in which they would grow, but you also wanted to grow them not in a haphazard way, but in a bit of a guided way and consequently accelerate their uh, development. And so in the secular world, I basically had a couple of goals in these groups. We would get together on a periodic basis and the goals of the group were to develop their leadership skills Secondly, to develop their relationships with other people who were moving up in the organization. That's really important because despite kind of the common idea that when you're in charge, you get things done by telling people what to do, that actually, the higher you go in an organization, the less that actually happens. Most things in big organizations, I think most things in life probably, get done more through influence than authority. Now, authority is important. It's useful. But influence is a skill that is even more important uh, in my experience. And so by getting to know each other, Ten years down the road, you'd find that uh, these people were executives in very different parts of the business, and they knew each other, and they had a track record with each other, and consequently, they could get things done because of people they knew, people that they knew well, and they learned how to influence one another and develop those bonds. That was really good for the company in the long run, and it was good for them as individuals to have allies as they move through their career. So the various curricula that we would study would be leadership curriculum. And in the business world, that tended to be whatever the latest fad was in business books. And they are very faddish world. And in general, uh, there are probably gems in all of the business books and leadership books that have been written. Uh, But I found you have to dig pretty hard to find them. Uh, Most business books really would make great pamphlets. But in general, as you move through those things and you identify some, you know, some key traits or some key practices, uh, key management skills that could be applied to their various organizations. So the curriculum would be a combination of studying what's being written and discussing that, and then secondly, doing some case studies. Uh, every well, every other meeting or so, we would have somebody bring a challenge, a management challenge, a political challenge, you know, whatever it happened to be going on in their little piece of the business. And they would bring it in and we would discuss it and we would analyze it. And so you would get some different perspectives. You would get some different experiences. And we would use it as a case study to apply some of the things that we were learning. Now, everything I've just said is in a secular world, but you can see that this is kind of a development group or a leadership group. Like a discipleship group, it has a very specific focus. It's not about just getting together and chat about your golf score and doing life together. It has a very specific purpose, and it's a little less of a, quote, Christian purpose in the sense that it's not focused specifically on discipleship. Well, I like those groups in the business world and brought it into the church world because reality is most of the men and women I deal with are developing their spiritual life, but they're doing it in the context of whatever their work world is. You may be a school teacher or a CEO, or you may be a plumber, or you may be an accountant. I mean, it doesn't really matter. You are taking your leadership skills and your faith into the workplace, and there, hopefully, those things intertwine. So, these leadership or development groups, in a Christian sense use the same, basically the same template with one addition. First is learning leadership skills. The second is developing relationships to help further each other's career, help each other bounce off uh, situations, case studies, but then third, grow each other's faith in the workplace talking specifically about applying your faith in the workplace. And so those are the three criteria of this kind of group. And it's very Christian oriented. It's leadership skills. It's putting it into practice in the workplace and helping each other. And then third, it is learning how to be faithful in the workplace. These groups are a little bit different and they can become very secular, Um, And I usually use, quote, secular material. I honestly am not a major fan of most of the Christian leadership books. I also realize the shortcomings of most of the secular leadership books. And so I tend not to uh, swallow anything hook, line, and sinker. But in these groups, I'll tell you what I found is extremely useful. And that is, uh, in, in my career, I've always thought of biographies as great ways to learn leadership. And what I mean by that is I'd like to know how other people have led in other situations. And I'm perfectly comfortable gleaning from that Just certain traits or practices that I might apply. In other words, I might read uh, a biography of Jeff Bezos at Amazon, and I have no intention of becoming Jeff Bezos. I have no intention of uh, doing exactly what he did, and that'll make me a better leader. What I do, though, is I would like to pull one or two things, sometimes none, sometimes several, practices that I can develop that will help me use my talents in a a better way and apply those things to my world that combines being a faithful follower of Christ in the workplace. And I'm going to give you an idea of a book that I think would be great to start with. So if you start a group like this of like minded believers who are very interested in uh, leading and developing their skills in the workplace, but doing so in a way that is consistent and manifests their faith. When you find a group of people like that, you invite them together. Here's a great book to start with. It uses my idea of uh, biography as a way of getting to leadership. Again, I'm not saying there aren't other good books out there, but I would recommend this one. It's called How to Lead, and it's by David Rubenstein. Dave Rubenstein is the co-founder of the Carlisle Group. He's a finance guy. Dave Rubenstein is smart. Uh, Now, again, we're not talking about a Christian book here at all. Dave Rubenstein's smart. Dave Rubenstein is also a really good interviewer. And what this book is called How to Lead is a transcript of Dave Rubenstein's interviews with any number of leaders. Now, you can find some books like this, but this book is unique to me in the sense that they're short Uh, So you don't read a whole book of a biography of Abraham Lincoln to pull out maybe one or two practices you'd like to cultivate or you could apply. That's not a bad thing to do, but this book has pretty short chapters. And so you can read a chapter each week, you can have a discussion, and then you can inject your faith into this. But these typically will give you an idea or two of practices that you can cultivate to maximize God, your God-given leadership gifts. What I really like about this book is the breadth of different leaders that he interviews. So, for example, he kind of does the obligatory Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, but he does a good job of getting off the beaten track a little bit. He draws things out that aren't uh, the usual trodden ground that you would get from an interview with some of these business leaders. But he also interviews people like uh, Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, who's not a traditional uh, tech company CEO. He interviews Condoleezza Rice, Nancy Pelosi, who are anything but uh, your typical CEO. They're in the realm of public policy and politics. He interviews, viewed uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's a very unique perspective. Uh, Oprah Winfrey coach Shashevsky, Yo-Yo Ma, which was one of the ones I really liked as a musician. And so he basically looks at leadership from a lot of different points of view. And you may read a few of these and get absolutely nothing out of it that applies to you other than, well, that was interesting to learn a little more about that person. But you will probably find a nugget or two here and there. Again, you don't have to become that person, but there are practices best practices that people do that you say, you know, I I want to cultivate that. And I think that will help my leadership gift to flourish. So the leadership or development groups are great things to do with people who are in similar workplaces with you and who want to talk about their work, but they want to talk about it in a Christian way and they want to develop themselves. And so when you're leading a group like that, Uh, You typically don't study the Bible in that group. You typically focus on developmental or leadership uh, gifts. But what you will see is everybody will bring their faith into that discussion. So I would suggest when you do that, do it with like-minded people. There's nothing wrong with having a group of executives. Maybe some are Christians, some are not. But for this kind of group, I like to focus my time and effort on Christ followers who would like to be more impactful in their work lives. So to summarize, you have your life groups than discipleship groups and leadership and development groups. And I've tended to focus my efforts in the past few years on discipleship groups and on leadership or development groups. And the reason is they just tend to be a little more focused. And I found that in this stage of my life and in the people that I'm dealing with, which are from various ages and stages of life, that there is a desire to focus our efforts So as good as life groups are, I'm finding more and more people interested in a specific focus. One final word to you and one final encouragement if you're going to start a group or you're going to lead a group is this, is that groups aren't meant to last forever particularly uh, discipleship groups or leadership and development groups. Now, there are some that may. You may get in a relationship, an accountability group, or a discipleship group, or a Bible study group. Hopefully, all of those are discipling everyone in the group. And, for example, I've been a part of a group like that that has some accountability and prayer and consistent diet of Bible study for over 25 years. But I will tell you, that's not the norm. And so, don't feel like it's been a failure. If you get a group together and you go for a year, you go for two years, and somebody transfers, and somebody's schedule no longer allows for that, don't feel like that group has not been useful. Uh, it, it's very normal for groups to come and go. I think of Paul when he talked about, you know, uh, planting and watering, and God giving the increase. Uh, You don't expect these groups to do all of that. I tend to think of these groups as we're helping each other steward one another in this stage of our life. So groups tend to come and groups tend to go. How do you know when it's time to get out of a group or how do you know when a group has run its course? Uh, Discipleship groups. Typically, don't ever run their course until, I mean, obviously, logistical things happen. People move or they can't be there. But if you see a group lagging or flagging in their commitment, instead of thinking, wow, you're just not committed anymore. You must not be a good Christian. Realize people go through phases in their lives. And when you have a hard time and you find as the leader, you're sort of dragging people to your meeting. That may just be God's sign to you that it's time to let everyone go and move on. Trust me, the Holy Spirit will use what you have done in that group. With leadership and development groups, those can go for quite a, a quite a long time, but when you find that you have become faddish meaning you're just reading the latest business book and discussing it, and you find that over time there's not much discussion of putting your faith into practice. You know, how does this leadership gift tie in with my faithful witness of Christ in the workplace when you have no discussion of that for a period of time? Again, I'm not saying all the discussion needs to be around that, but if you find that this group could just as easily be completely non-believers. My suggestion is move on, and not because that's a bad thing. I just think you have better things to do with your time than that. And so I think you'll see that over time, most of these groups will run their course. And I'm very comfortable with that, and I'd encourage you to be comfortable with that because, once again, we are simply stewards of the gifts we've been given We are encouragers and stewards of the people God brings into our life, and we come together and drift apart as God wills in our lives. So hopefully a few thoughts on beginning or leading a discipleship group or a leadership and development group. And as I say, I'm sure many of you have other ideas for books and ways to go about this and would love for you to email us and share those ideas. We'll post them so that we can all benefit from it. Look forward to seeing you next week. And I pray during this week that you will be very aware, keenly aware of the gifts God has given you. And I pray that we'd all have clarity as to the people he's bringing into our lives and what he wants us to do.